The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 3, Star Trek The Experience Promotional Art, 1998. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek historians, you canonistas, I do say that lovingly, tech heads, all across the wide swath of Trekophiles, spelled with an F. We've got a fun one. Well, they're always a fun episode, but another one of these great ones diving into something not at the Paramount stages in Hollywood uh, for Star Trek or even in Toronto, but back in Las Vegas. Yes, we're going to do another um, as deep as we can get in our time today back with the development of Star Trek The Experience, which, as you should know, is celebrating the 25th anniversary of its opening. But of course, nothing happens. Nothing turns on a dime. Star Trek the Experience was was a second go-round of an initial idea in Vegas, and then in its own development, took about five, six years before it was able to open in January of 1998, before it ran for about 10 years, until it sadly had to close uh, a year before Star Trek 09 opened in uh, Labor Day of 2008. And those... 10 years of operation were amazing and a saga unto themselves. But the saga of getting it launched, developed from square one, finally, the from approval stage to opening is another long saga. And I'm so thrilled to have back with this, uh, the guy who was in the catbird seat for all of that. The head of Landmark Entertainment that built the thing and today head of Gary Goddard, uh, sorry, Gary Goddard Group, sorry. And today the head of Gary Goddard Group is... Mr. Gary Goddard himself. Gary, thanks so much for coming back with us. We were squeezing so much into that first visit, I knew we needed to spill over and have at least another time to talk about some of the development uh, stages. The photos we have this week, gang, since we have no text documents, we've got photos only. And they're the promotional photos, plus a hint of the lower floor of what the experience looked like. So, Gary, we were talking last time you were with us about uh, the original idea coming back around and pushing back and seeing this kind of simple, limited vision from Paramount and you all stepping up to say, oh, no, we can do we can do much more. Yeah, that, that I think that's Paramount came to us because they realized that, you know, that kind of attraction was not in their wheelhouse at the time. Uh, basically, they bought rides and rethemed them. And but creating mm-hmm. something from scratch in a universal or Disney kind of way was not what they were doing. We at Landmark had done a lot of that. And of course, I go back to being an Imagineer at Disney. So I've, I've, I've been, you know, I've been, I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, so they, they they came to us with the concept, and our our job was to get it to another level, the one that Rick Berman and the Star Trek team would embrace. And uh, it became very collaborative. Uh, Rick assigned us two writers, two very talented writers. Um, and they were young, enthusiastic, and they embraced it. They didn't try to impose, oh, we're, you know, we're good. here's our script and that has to be it. No, they wanted to know, okay, what do we need to do? What's live? What's going to be filmed? How's this going to go? So we had a very good relationship, and Rick felt confident that the Star Trek um, brand, I hate, I hate using brand, the Star Trek spirit and integrity of the story and the characters was in good hands with the writers, so you didn't have to worry about that. 
And then Rick uh, had some observations along the way. He'd duck in once in a while with a few thoughts and stuff. Um, and then our job was to try and create an attraction that would really, really blow people away. And uh, part of that, I think we covered in the, before, was the whole how we're going to beam people up. And that's a saga in and of itself, but it worked out really well. It baffled even my industry peers. No one could really figure it out because it was. And to this, and to this day, the, one of the most memorable, people remember their whole visit in detail, especially if they only got to go once. But I think you're totally right, and no pun intended, but the blow away factor was. I mean, the mechanics, the ride, the visuals, the sensation, your center of gravity being, you, you kind of expect that, but there were there other rides out there. But boy, nobody in the world before or since has beamed you up. No, no. <laughs> I just want to underline that again. That was amazing. Yeah, and that, that took a lot of work. I mean, a lot of, a lot of figuring yeah. out by a lot of very talented people at Landmark and over at PRG, the, the production company that was building. Yeah, and even a happy accident there along the way. But again, we talk about the high tech, the sexiness, we think about, and all the time invested you talked about. We should say that, um, I want to say, because I was there, I was consulting at Paramount a lot, and I worked on a lot of the experience and, or, or gave notes back after things got a certain way. But there at the core, uh, what, there was a script at first, and then and then Rick said, let's get some of our guys on. You said two writers. It was Rene Echevarria and Ken Biller. Yeah. It was two of the, you know, they had one guy from Voyager, one guy from the Space Nine. Yeah. That he pulled off, and they did double duty and cool and co-wrote that show script. Yes, they did a great job. Yeah, and I remember one part of this was the standard format plot of this might be you're at a tourist thing, and you're you know it's it was a little artificial, wow. and I remember you all wanting to and Rick especially saying no, we want people to be tourists who are then sucked into not just Star Trek, but like with a plausible, it had to be a Star Trek plot, and then they're plopped back down as tourists again yeah. at the end. And I think that helped make the whole thing because we're not telling people you have to pretend you're someone, someone else. Right? You're mm -hmm. really tourists from Las Vegas at the, at the Hilton who have been <laughs> basically, you know, kidnapped or rescued, kidnapped, yeah. uh, you know, uh, to this, uh, to the ship. Uh, the uh, the other part that I didn't get into so much. One of the things that I brought to it with the writers was I said, "Look, this beam up effect. When we knew it was going to work, when we, you know, we knew this was going to work." I said, <clears throat> I, "I I eventually talked to them and said, look, I think in this pre-show thing, we're going to put a real physical simulator in front of people. We're going to make people think.'" And at first, it was like, "Well, then they're going to." And I said, "No, no, they won't. This is this is a, this is a magic trick because they're going to see a physical thing over there, and they there is no way they're going to think any way that that thing is not what they're doing. Oh, I've done this a thousand times. This is this is a this is Star mm -hmm. Wars, you know, thing. Yeah. Thing blah, blah, they're going to rock me around, blah, blah blah. And I said, well, we flipped that on them, but then I said we need to bring them in, in instead of coming on because again in the original Paramount thing, the 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 the, uh, the tourists come into the ship. And then they're there, and they're like uh, being walked through it, and and then the shit hits the fan, right? Shoot, I don't, can I say that on here? Just... You can say it. You just did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so what I said was, no, the shit has to has to hit the fan right before we get there. So when we get there, the red lights are going because when that change happens, I don't want people waiting around. So that I said, mm -hmm. and I just started doing like I'm doing now. I said because I'm thinking now I'm a theater guy, now I'm staging things in my head, right? So I'm like, what has to happen is when those lights come up. Someone has to be in front of us right now. You are on the Starship Enterprise. You have just been done. Blah, 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 blah. Please step this way. Step this way. Womp, womp, right. womp. You know, we are in emergency conditions. You'll need to follow so-and-so. I said, it's got to be like that. So people, right as they're trying to react to this, they've just been beamed up. What the heck just happened? They can't even think because they're being told, you're on board. Come this way. Bop, bop, bop. Or, you know, 
they are plunged right. into the immersive. So now you're yeah. into yeah. it. You know, you don't have time to think. And that I think that's part of what worked. That's the pacing. By the way, typical problem with theme park attractions, most people, because I've I've directed theater and films and I've done all this stuff, they they lose the idea of pacing in a theme park attraction. And theme parks have to be paced, just like a, a good sh live show does or a good movie does. If you don't pace it, it's just, you know, it's it's bad. So whether it's a dark ride or whether it's a walkthrough, walkthroughs are really tough. Uh, but what we had was a great, great thing. We're going to walk people through in a, in a battle condition. There's things right. going on. You're not just, you know. Urgency people. Yeah, you're not, saun you're not <laughs> yeah. sauntering through, you know. It's like, and so... And then we had to rush you to get your ship to get you out and everything. And then finally, when you land, now you can relax. Now you're in Deep Space Nine. You're at the bar. You, you cork all that stuff. You know. So shop. <laughs> that was that was the uh, yeah. that was the challenge. How to make this something the fans will love, but also if you're a tourist that's never seen Star Trek, that you're brought into it in a way that you love it too. So that's the thing we're always trying to do when we do these things based on on brands is work on two levels, the uninitiated and the highly initiated, and that both of them find something that they really like. Well, and I think, you know, eventually as time went on, obviously the core audience for this were Star Trek fans. Right. But even if, say, like a family goes, well, maybe it's an adult with kids or a spouse, or maybe it's a kid nagging the parents, or maybe it's a group of five who are having a great time in Vegas and one of them's the fan, but whatever, it's like, you, you, you're not worried about them. Of course, they could be a, one of your harshest critics if it's not up to snuff, and it always was. But what about those other people? And, and I think somewhere between, you were just talking about, um, about having everybody, having all the extras plunging you into something, having it all make sense in a Star Trek way. Well, the Star Trek fans would get that. And they know how they, they, they see how people react at Red Alert yeah. <laughs> and battle yeah. stations. They know. And if you're not a fan, you're either following the lead of the fan in your group or you're looking around and you see you're immersed and you get it. It wasn't so, the thing about the whole ride was it sucked you along from step to step and it was very plausible even for the non-fans. But the the real fans were just you know, geeking out the whole time. Yeah. But it was it was really well put together that way. Well, we, we shot the actual uh, scenes uh, of uh, Riker and all the rest of it on mm -hmm. the sets on the Paramount lot. In fact, in that one picture there that I'm in with uh, Dave DeVos, who directed the, the sequences, uh, right beyond Dave is a kind of a, 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 a little heavyset bald guy. Uh, oh, Jerry Fleck. Yeah. Okay. I was going to just. Say yes. And, Sorry. I stole your. Yeah. yeah. Well, that and he was the first AD on, on. But here's the funny thing. I grew up in Santa Barbara and knew him then. I was younger. He was about eight. Oh. He was in the theater and I was in the theater. And I show up that morning. I'm like, and I, I haven't seen him since he's bald, right? I was like, Jerry? He goes, huh. of course he didn't recognize me because I was much younger. I said, Scary Goddard. And he goes, what is this? So we, we grew up in Santa Barbara. I had no idea that he was the first AD on Star. I had no idea until I showed up on the set that morning. And there I said, it was almost like, what are you doing here? I'm the first AD. So <laughs> this was, well, that's awesome. You had a little Santa Barbara union there. So, and and then, you know, he, he passed very suddenly. Yeah, that was, quick, that was sad. Know, during Enterprise. But he was what, he was the AD when Jonathan directed his two movies that he took with him. But the, the meta story of this photo, and then there, there in the back is uh, Doug Knapp, who was the regular camera operator for Marvin. What this is showing also, people forget, is all those sequences and down to having Michael Westmore doing the original makeup yep. and training. They had all the resources of the studio. Yep. Um, I mean, that's what you mean. Rick was insisting, here, use my writers. Right. Here, use some of our stage people, our crews. 
Yeah. yeah. Use our designers. No, and that, Herman Zimmerman was involved on the art side. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. The art Completely. Design. Wow. Yeah. We designed the overcompl we, we we designed the circulation, how it all worked, the stuff we know, and the conceptual, you know. But once it got to that, he's the man. So yeah. he made sure that, that everything was right in terms of the show. I mean, that was a big plus for us. It upped the budget a little bit to make everything right. But thank God. I mean, you know, because sometimes when you have to when I have to fight those battles myself. You know, but when the two thousand pound gorilla Rick says, "No, no, no, you, you're going to use these guys, and you're going to use those guys," mm -hmm. that's it. No one's going to argue. Well, the the great thing about and we've got these promotional pictures you can see, uh, and these got used in the early. Uh, you've got the interior of the shuttle here. The guys at the uh, the walking was the, were the walking characters, the Klingons, the Ferengi, all of that part of pretty early on concept, or was that like? I think originally yeah. they were thought just as. Uh, it would just be a themed bar, but then we we really went for it and said, well, let's 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 have the characters interact with people, not just photo ops. They're not just walk around characters. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna really and not just the characters that were in part of the ride. Right, right exactly. Yeah, but they'd be up there. Well, that's the amazing thing was completely unintended. Were you aware that after a few months, the actors who were the walkabout characters felt so bored they were actors and they so they started coming up with a connected totally unofficially their own but after a while they had a whole running uh how all their characters interacted and how they knew each other and how they even explained that there was a time portal in vegas and they called it the time station after a while and mm -hmm. how it explained i, I think I that's mean, that's that was i think they developed that part we, we gave them oh, no totally we gave it backstories totally. we gave them the, the, the basics but i think some of that must have evolved well, that's what after t over ten years sure. time, that's what actors standing there welcoming fans in and fans wanting to interact with them in character. And you're at court yeah. and you're on the promenade. And that part of it was another amazing part of how this you all set in motion something that took on a life of its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to, but I, I do want to say something. I re, so I was remember all this being developed. I remember how many it was like getting the shuttle launched. There were so many delays because things. For one thing, and you should remember this. You mentioned Herman. I remember them coming up building whether it was building the corks area or the sets involved with the ride, the promenade area, starting out to do it the way they did it in Hollywood. And then there was a click because you had all the Las Vegas fire code oh, yeah. and all the building code and all that. And at one point, somebody said. You can't build this out of what fiberglass? Right. It'll go go up in smoke. Yep, fire code. All correct. And you had to re, they had to reinvent how they built. They couldn't build things the Hollywood way for a permanent. Structure. No, you can't. For permanent, it's whole different. There's another whole thing that we have to deal with that in movies and Broadway you don't have to, you know. Right, but that was another little hurdle that nobody thought about at the beginning, but took time to work out and. Yeah. Was there ever a time in that develop? Because it wound up what you you got you were you came back from the hotel pitch or or that and 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 uh, Hilton coming forward to initiate yeah, this no, and getting it going. There was a, there was a gap there from one or the other, but I think uh, right. I think. But I'm wondering if anywhere along the way did it and there were delays at the end. It was supposed to open up at the summer, and it, it just just so many moving parts to get down to for the detail that everyone wanted to be that Rick insisted on and you insisted on. Was there ever a part where you thought we're we're not going to make it? This isn't going to come together, or was it always just keep keep working the problem and we'll get there? You never say die. <laughs> there's always a solution. <laughs> there's always a solution. Might cost money, might take time, but there's always a solution. Uh, yeah, no. What happened is when you're when you're doing a first of its kind of any kind. I mean, look mm -hmm. at Rise of the Resistance. You know, uh, you know that that thing didn't make any. It, it, it missed three or four opening dates. You know, 
because it was multitudes of more complexity. But whenever you're doing a first, and we were doing a first, and you know, remember everything has to time. The simulators have to time with the when they walk through the halls, it has to time because all these shows are one's going after the other, and and so and we had that's why we had two different, you know, because one group's going into there, and while they're on there, the next group's going into there because you have to make the capacities to make the. It's another thing that you don't have to deal with except in our business. You have to have capacities for these things so that they make sense for the owner-operator. So you're always juggling all these different things and trying to, all through that, keep sight of the story you're telling and the characters you have, the brand, the spirit, the heart of whatever it is, and and and, and make it work. And as making it work, you have to have pacing. That's my biggest thing. It's because I'm a director by nature. And because I'm a writer too, I am able to... I have a unique talent to write and direct for this medium. In this case, you know, Renee and Ken were writing it, but we were working together on that. And, and actually, I wrote a few suggestions for them. I just wrote it. I said something like this. And they would say, well, that, that's good. We're just going to use that. I said, okay, good. I mean, a couple of lines. I mean, you know, just something here and there for timing purposes. Um, but I think uh, the the whole thing is once you get people into into the experience, you know, the beam up, you know, everything's cool. The museum's cool. You're kind of, that's cool. Then you, then we get the right. false hope and they're like, well, this is going to be some lame, stupid ride. And then we bang, right? From that moment on, that's when the pacing is important. From now you have them. Now you don't want to lose them. So you got to keep them in that reality. And that's all that misdirection, the the, the red light, you know, the, the, the warning, the, mm-hmm. you know, and get them through and move this way, this way, this way. The military training that I talked about, that, that yeah, I'm again, Paramount Parks were like, well, Star Trek's not military because they're thinking military means, you know, they don't have guns. They're not going to be sh- militant. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, Shoot no, first. it's military. They're all military trained. And, and when people go through there, when those guys are saying this way, this way, move, 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 whatever they're saying, you know, it has to be like they've been trained. They've been, they've been through the thing, boot camp, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was a challenge all along the way. I've got some great pictures I'll send you of Dale Dye. Uh, with the cast in the big room there giving us I've got those pictures somewhere I can I can get those to you well I have to wrap this up here but just again the the people who were lucky enough to see the experience and and remember what the the uh, especially downstairs we've got a chart here of the downstairs plan it really brings it home when you see the known the front of house here with the shops and quirks and all of that in the entryways uh, how much of it had to be backstage and support and all that and just gives you an idea of how complex it was some fun. They they eventually gave behind the scenes tours yeah, and took people yeah. through this in the latter years. But oh my gosh, Gary, this you know this deserves to be a coffee table book. This deserves to be a documentary. The the building and the operation. Yeah, no. of the experience. I think the, the brilliant thing that we did was when you brought up the, the you started on the top and we kind of slowly brought you up. Then we brought you down so you can get to the, and then when you came out you were below. So we had we had this great flow. You know it really worked well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Gary, it's so much fun. It is the 25th anniversary, which scares me to think about it. <laughs> but thank you so much for dropping in again and, and sharing some more of these stories. And you know what? We're, let's keep digging and maybe we'll find some more and come back and talk more about sure. the glory Anytime. years there. Great. Yep. Thank you so much. All right. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment and all of our documents and our visuals and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, Hey, that's me at LarryNimacek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.